0: We had to use the Marines commercial because there just wasn't any exciting commercials about buying a game of chess. (laughs) But it is an exciting game. It's actually a game that has been around a a very long time. The current version actually came from Southern Europe in the uh, mid-15th century, so 500 years in its current form that it's been played. And the game of chess is is kind of a a battle, if you will, a a competition between two people. It's kind of like medieval warfare. And this game, as you can see, is played on a a board that's eight blocks by eight blocks. And the, the object of the game, as you can see, the pieces lined up on either side facing each other is to develop a strategy at the end of the game your goal is to conquer or capture the king right and so what you want to do is to move your pieces against the other person with a strategy and you've got to pay attention to what's going on because you have your strategy to attack the other person to go after their king and other pieces But you also have to be aware to defend yourself against the strategy of the other player coming against you. So each move is very specific in either developing your position or defending against the other. And to do that, you use these pieces, as we see, lined up here in two rows. And each of these pieces has a unique role in the game. These front two rows... Or pawns. Now these pawns, as with every piece, moves in a very specific fashion. When in its, in its initial position, a pawn can either move one or two spaces forward, and then after that, only one block at a time straight ahead, unless it's capturing its opponent, it can move diagonally. This is a rook. The rook can only move in a straight line, like this, either horizontally or vertically across the board. This is a knight, it's got special moves, right? All it can do is move basically in the shape of an L. It can move two forward and one to the side, either side, or if it was out here, it can move one and then two over this way. And again, to set up positioning and attack or to defend against something. This is a bishop. A bishop can only move diagonally across the board. And so, what we have is are each of these pieces uniquely designed to play a part in developing this strategy that goes on against the sides. So, what we um, the analogy that we're going to use this game for is, I think, is very applicable today. When you think of what's going on since the beginning of time, it's this chess match, if you will, this this battle, this spiritual battle going on between good and between evil. Between God's strategy and plan for humankind and the evil one, Satan's desires to ruin that plan. And God has chosen us, his church, as a part of his strategy to carry out his plan for humankind. And so as this 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 battle takes place, we are in the midst of it as his pawns, if you will, as his pieces, as his people, as his church, executing his strategy against the evil one. okay, And he has chosen us as followers of Christ, right? We're on his team, on his side with a specific role to play in his strategy against the evil one. And this is playing out, and our job is to be in the front line of that battle, not sitting on the sideline watching this match play out between good and evil. God has chosen us. God has not only chosen us, but has given gifted us to be engaged in this spiritual battle. And like the chess pieces, each one of us has unique gifting to carry out his plan for our lives in this battle. Right? The knight can move in the shape of an L. Well, some of us have a gift of leadership. The rook can only move straight. Well, some of us have the gift of teaching. See, each one of us are God's pieces, an important part taking place in the spiritual battle which is raging on around us. You guys with me so far? And what that part is that he's given us is our spiritual gifts, which come from the Holy Spirit. And this is so important for us to understand on where these gifts come from, why they're so important, what we're supposed to do for them, and that's what I want to develop by looking through his word this morning. First, we're going to look at the theology of it. What is the Holy Spirit? Who is the Holy Spirit? What's he mean in our lives? And how does he gifts us? And what do we do with these spiritual gifts? And working together with these gifts, as his body, as the church, we are executing God's strategy for saving the human race, okay? And so since he's chosen the church to do that, I want us to go back to the very beginning of when the church was instituted so we can understand what his plan is for us. So open up your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2 is what we're going to see. And as you go there, I want to kind of set a little bit of context. Remember Acts chapter 1? Jesus was raised up, into heaven after he was resurrected to see at the right hand of the Father, he gave commandments to them. So he's gone, he's up in heaven, and the disciples are are sitting around, they're talking. In fact, Jerusalem is buzzing at this moment. For us here in Pittsburgh, it's like last weekend was in the city, right? The regatta was going on, there was a pirate game going on, there was some big time things going on in the city. The city was a buzz. And for those in Orlando, well, the city's always a buzz because they have Disney World, right? But what's going on here is the festivals are going on, the feasts are going on. So not only are the people that live in Jerusalem all gathered, but the people had come in from the surrounding countries that had converted and are in for those feasts and in for the festivals. So there's a lot of activity going on in Jerusalem at this point. All right, so let's look at chapter 2. Verse 1 to 4. Okay, it said, When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were what? They were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound, right? A big sound, like a mighty rushing wind, right? Think like hurricane force wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting, In divided tongues, I'm going to talk about that in a second, as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And here we go. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And God began to speak, again, in tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Okay, so tongues... Here means known human languages. And we're going to see this unfold starting in the next verse. So they're all gathered around. This big, mighty, rushing wind comes. And that's the Holy Spirit that's coming on those that had placed their trust in Jesus, that believed in him. And then look what happens in verses 5 through 12. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. So see what's going on here, right? So this rushing wind comes, fills them with the Holy Spirit. The multitudes that are out there hear the wind, hears what's going on, and it says, they came together. Everyone's enclosing to see what is going on. They were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and the residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome. Both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to another, what does this mean? So you get all these people They traveled into Jerusalem from afar, you know how far, remember we talked last week about the fertile crescent, that's Mesopotamia, right? A great distance to Jerusalem to partake in the festivals and the feasts, hear this rushing wind and they come there and they hear the Galileans speaking in the languages that they understand. And they're talking about the mighty works of God, right? So this is a significant spiritual time going on, the start of the church. And everybody is amazed and wondered what's going on. Well, almost everyone. Look at verse 13. But others mocking said, they are filled with new wine. See, so the doubters see what's taking place. And they're like, right, they're not believers. They don't understand what's going on. They don't understand the language. So the only conclusion they can draw is they're drunk. (laughs) They've been drinking wine. They're drunk. This is all gibberish. There is nothing spiritual going on here. And then good old Peter jumps into action like he always does, particularly in big-time situations. And that's what we see take place right here. Look at verses 14 and 15. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. See, Peter knows there's no partying going on here. Peter knows what's happening. This is the start of the church. This is God's strategy playing out for humankind. Peter knows this. This is what Peter was taught. Not only Peter knows this, but the, the prophets knew this. Eight or nine hundred years ago, the prophets spoke and, write, and wrote about this very thing coming to fruition. And Peter quotes the prophet Joel who wrote eight to nine hundred years before this happened. Look what he quotes in chapter 2, verse 17. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I what? I will pour out my spirit. Future tense. Eight or nine hundred years from now, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh and your sons and daughters shall prophesy and your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. See, Peter saying what you see going on right now, this is what the prophet Joel wrote about and spoke about 800 years ago. This is what is taking place. He said he was going to pour out his spirit. Well, guess what? His spirit is now here. So then after he quotes the prophet Joel more of what his writing is, and then look what Peter continues with in Acts, jump down to ver- same chapter, verses 22 to 24. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as yourselves know, this Jesus, delivered up to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosening the pangs of death because it was not possible to be held by it. See, Peter's saying, listen, remember Jesus, the local boy, right? He was Jesus of Nazareth, right? He was one of us, that one who came, the one you killed, the one that was raised up, that we saw resurrected, right? 500 of you witnessed him. You saw his miracles. You saw his healings. You saw his ministry. Not only that, you saw him raised up into the sky. And where is he right now? Well, jump down to verse 33. Peter goes on to say, Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, look at this. Exalted the right hand of God, having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, right? He has now poured out, past tense, we saw it will be poured out. It was poured out, the beginning of chapter 2, here we are, verse 33, it was poured out past tense that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. That is what's going on. So Jesus is up, sitting at the right hand of the Father, he has poured out his spirit and not only is Peter saying this, but Jesus himself told us, told them that this was going to happen. Look at John sixteen seven, right? This is before he ascended into heaven. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away up into heaven, for if I do not go, the Helper. This is the Holy Spirit. Will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. See, that's what the Holy Spirit, he was sent. It was a gift. And it's the first point that I want to make today is that the Holy Spirit is a gift that we receive When we place our trust in Jesus Christ, right? Through faith and faith alone, it's a free gift. It's nothing that we earn. By placing our trust in him, we get the gift of the Holy Spirit living inside of us. And the Holy Spirit empowers us, okay? It says the power of the Holy Spirit. It's a helper, Right? The Holy Spirit helps us resist temptation to sin. The Holy Spirit helps us overcome fears. The Holy Spirit helps us overcome doubts. The Holy Spirit helps us obey God in his design for our lives. Okay? That's what the Holy Spirit does inside of us as this free gift. And he uses us, the free gifts inside of us, it's like he's given us his gift, he's lining us up as part of this battle to carry out his mission for his church. And what is the mission of the church? Well, what we have to do is back up before he ascended into heaven, Acts chapter one, verse eight. But you what? You will receive power, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, so there's the helper part, right? He's come, I got the power, and then we have a responsibility on what to do with the power. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, our immediate context, in Judea and Samaria, a little bit further out and through the ends of the earth. right? This is the purpose of the church. The church is God's vehicle. Us as individuals that make up the church. We are God's chess pieces, if you will, that is carrying out his strategy and executing his plan of salvation for his people. That is what is so significant about our lives. Because here's what is key. Is the Holy Spirit is not only a gift that empowers us to get through the ups and downs of everyday lives, life, the Holy Spirit also gifts us with unique abilities and skills to carry out our role in his plan. That each one of us, as I said earlier, has a unique gifting to move a certain way to play out this strategy. Well, that spiritual gift comes from the Holy Spirit. All right, so let me define, make sure we're on the same page with the definition of spiritual gifts. And again, this is in your bulletins. So spiritual gifts are abilities given by the Holy Spirit to build up believers, right? That's the power part, to make us stronger, to be more like Christ, to get through the ups and downs, to to, um, to resist temptation, to obey the Lord. That's the power, that's the first part. And then second part, is to be a witness, as we saw in Acts chapter 1, to non-believers to extend Christ or his influence throughout the world. So it makes us stronger, these gifts, and it gives us the gifting to do what God has called us to do. Okay, 1 Corinthians 12.4 says now there are a variety of gifts, right? They're not all the same, but there is one spirit. We all have the same spirit, but there are a variety of gifts. And these gifts are not the natural abilities that we were born with, right? And then typically, as you place your trust in Christ, it's not like you get a whole new different set of skills. It's not typical, but what happens is that these, these abilities and this wiring that we have gets pointed towards an eternal purpose to make a difference on the behalf of God, right? It's not for, these gifts are not for our own edification. 1 Peter 4.10 says, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. That's why we're given these gifts, to serve one another, not for our own edification. And not all of us have all the gifts. There's none of us that has all the gifts that we can serve in a function by ourselves in replacement of the church. Right? The Apostle Paul writes about the mystery of the church working as a body. Each has a part to play. And when we take our individual gifts as a person and we use them together as a united body, we can accomplish more together than we would ever be able to accomplish by ourselves. And that's how we work together to be able to do that. And and really fulfilling the potential in which God has created us. With. See, if we go back to this chess game, right, some of us are rooks, some of us are queens, some of us are the bishop. And if I take this bishop and I move it over here, it's not allowed to do that. It has a very specific way that it is allowed to move, and it can't do that. Well, each one of us has a specific way in which we are to move within the world, and we operate naturally when we're using our gifting in all areas of our lives. Now, Scripture goes on to identify about 19 of these gifts, and I don't believe that this is meant to be an exhaustive list, but these gifts let me go through some of these real quick for you, are up on the screen. As we see in Scripture, there's uh, the, the gift of um, administration, right? Everyone thinks the gift of administration is filing stuff away. Well, it's, it's, it's organizing, right? It's organizing processes. It's organizing people. It's able to take resources and people and put them together and move towards accomplishing a common goal. You have a gift of of craftsmanship, right? You use your hands, you know how to use your hands well. Creative communication, encouragement, faith, helps, intercession, leadership, the gift of prophecy, teaching, apostleship. The gift of apostleship is, is you're just wired to try new things, right? The mundane drives you crazy. You like green fields in front of you. Creating new things, starting new ventures, Um, um, discernment, evangelism. Giving, we see, is a gift. Right? Shame on us as leaders of the church if we don't challenge you to exercise your gift of giving like we would if you had the gift of teaching. So giving is a spiritual gift: hospitality, knowledge, mercy, shepherding, wisdom. See, we have these gifts. To do something significant. Something spiritually significant. Being part of God's plan to bring restoration to his creation. And we do that as a body. We do that as a church working together. All right, that's the theology. That's the theology of of how we get the Holy Spirit, who the Holy Spirit is, and what spiritual gifts are, right? If I put it this way, this is the head part of the sermon, the knowledge part, understanding what the Bible says on these topics. Now all I wanna do is to talk about the heart part, and how this plays out in our lives. And I think that this is incredibly important to us today. And there's really one big reason that I believe this, and it's because I believe that we as individuals, we as a church struggle with a consumer mentality in all areas of our lives. See, when I was a kid... If I wanted to watch Happy Days, anyone like Happy Days? Right? I had to be in front of my television at 8 o'clock on Tuesday to see what Ralph Melf and Potsey and Richie Cunningham were up to. If I wasn't there at 8 o'clock on Tuesdays, I had to rely on my friends to tell me what kind of shenanigans they got themselves into or hope that they re-ran that show sometimes later in the year. That's not the case today, is it? We watch whatever we want, wherever we are, whenever we want to watch it, on whatever device we want to watch it on. And it's created this, I want it my way, the Burger King mentality. And this consumer mentality of wanting everything that I want, when I want it, the way that I want it, has creeped into all areas of our life, including our church lives. I have friends of mine which are not engaged in a local body, a church. They're strong believers. But their response to me is, why would I commit to a church I can watch any pastor I want, anytime I want to, anywhere that I am. I don't have to commit. No one asks me to serve. No one asks me to give. Well, I'm being fed, they say. And I think it's even creeped into those spirits of those that come to the church and sit inside of the walls of our campuses, that as we come our mindset is how am I going to be served today, man I hope the hospitality team has their act together and the free coffee is actually drinkable this week, or I hope nobody is sitting in my seat, you know what the sad thing is, This was a deal last weekend. In one of our services at one of our campuses, we had somebody bring two co-workers that that they have been trying to come to church with for months. They finally came last week. And they made the mistake of sitting in someone's seat. And that person asked them if they were new. And they responded, I'm not new, but these two are and that person didn't say anything, made them feel uncomfortable to those people who got up and sat in a different seat. That's consumer mentality. I hope the, the those people in student ministry have a great message to deal with my kids' issues this week. I hope the worship team sings the songs I like with the lights as bright or dark as I like with loud as I want it to be. And man, I sure hope... My favorite pastor is the one teaching this week. See, we develop this consumer mentality that it's about me and about what I want and when I want it. But that's not what Jesus modeled for us, is it? Matthew chapter 20, verse 28 says, even the Son of Man, what, came not to be served but to serve and gave his life up as a ransom for many. See, our attitude should be to serve each other, to serve this hurting world. See, the walls of our buildings are not a place to come, to sit, to soak, to get your spiritual tank filled up so you can make it through another week. These empty seats should be filled with people that don't know the Lord. And it should be our heart's desire to serve them like they're Jesus, regardless of what seat they sit in. Amen? So, what can we practically do? How could we really take this teaching to heart? and apply it to our lives. Let me give you three very practical ways of taking action in this area. The first one is that you have to be aware of your spiritual gifts. I am surprised at times when I talk to people how many people just aren't aware of how they're wired on what God made them to do. So if you're one of those people, we have a a, a a way for you to figure that out. If you go to our homepage, biblechapel.org, and just scroll down, you'll come to three blocks, Connect Class, Living Grounded, and this block here, Serving and Volunteering. If you click on that Block, it will take you to that page, and you will see a link right there that says spiritual gift inventory. And my challenge to you is if you do not know, if you can't sit here today and list out your top three spiritual gifts, is by this time next Sunday, you click on that button and you take the 10 minutes to fill out that questionnaire and get your results back, and they come back immediately. And it'll give you scores on each of the ones that I showed you, and your highest three, those are your spiritual gifts, right? Very practical, very easy. You can do it anywhere you want, on any device that you want. (laughs) I'm just challenging you to do it. By this time next Sunday, They come to church knowing what your top three spiritual gifts are. Okay, very practical, very easy. The second challenge I'm going to give you is to then, once you're aware of your spiritual gifts, is to take the time to prayerfully consider how you're using those spiritual gifts in all Aspects of your life. See, spiritual gifts just aren't for the church. Right? Remember, there's no secular and sacred. It's all sacred. So these spiritual gifts should be deployed and active in every area of our lives. In our workplace, in our communities, in our home, in the church. Look at all aspects of your life and say, Am I using the spiritual gifts that God has given me, trusted me with, to bring Him honor and glory in all areas of my life? That's a good, honest assessment. Heartfelt, getting real with God. God, am I really using what you've, my gifts? The way you've made me to bring you honor and glory. Convict me where I'm not. You may be exercising your gift of leadership like gangbusters at work. But you know what? You're really falling flat on your face at home maybe. You've taken more of a passive role. So be honest on where you're at. And then lastly... The third way I'm going to challenge you, that if you're not using your gifting inside the church, commit to doing so in the next 30 days. Guys, listen. We can't be who God has made us to be as a body, as a church, without you playing your role. You can't win a chess match with half the pieces. All the pieces have to be used. All the pieces have to be put in a strategy in play, doing their part to be able to win. And if we are going to be the beautiful bride of Christ that God's created us to be, we all have to be engaged. On that same part of our website, you will see three drop-down lists, opportunities to serve. You will see it by campus, you will see it by ministry, and you will see it by spiritual gift. So if you find out that you have the gift of apostleship, you can just simply click on the gift of apostleship and say, show me all the areas within the church that can use my gifting. Or if you want to search by campus, you want to search by ministry, they're on there. No matter how great things look on Sunday morning at all of our campuses, we need your help. We need you engaged in the battle, not sitting on the sideline watching all the pieces move around. God trusts you with his work. And not only does he trust you, he's given you the power to carry it out and the skills in which to do it in all areas of your life. And we're challenging you within the next 30 days to do something, to get involved in what God is doing inside of his church. The ball's in your court. We need you in this battle with us. Don't sit on the sidelines watching it all play out. You've got to do something. Amen. Dear Father, we thank you for your word. Father, we thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit. Father, we thank you for the power that it gives us, that He gives us to to turn from sin, to obey you, to become more like you. And we thank you for the gifting that the Spirit gives us, Father, to to be engaged in this battle that's going on. Father, help us be courageous to, to take inventory, to know how you've wired us, and to spend our life living, full out for you, using this gifting in every area of our lives Father help us do something and when we do it, we will do it not in our name, but the powerful name of your son Jesus Christ and it's in his name that we pray together Amen